0: Take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 25 as we continue our study through this first book of the Bible. We have seen, and you will see, as you read through Scripture, the rest of the Old Testament into the New Testament, that Genesis is foundational to understanding so much of Scripture. Today we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that tells two stories about a very dysfunctional family. It is a family who shortcuts God's plan or ignores God's plan. There are, there's favoritism. There are lies, manipulation, deception, impulsive behavior, craving of natural appetites that lead to some bad places, and there is a lot of drama. There are consequences for the sins we're going to see in this chapter, and in the end, we're going to see that God grace can trump our sin, if indeed we're ready to allow Him to do that. So today, here's what I want to do. I want to work through these two stories. I'm going to go through them fairly quickly, and then I want to draw seven lessons from these stories, all right? I'm going to go through the stories, get the idea get what's going on, and then seven lessons, and we'll go back and look at some of the details in the stories. Genesis chapter 25 verse 19, and this is the account of Abraham's son Isaac. Let's stop there real quick. If you're following in your sermon notes and your bulletin, you'll see the literary out- there are different ways to, to outline uh, Genesis, but you'll see the literary outline there. Ten times in Genesis it says, "This is the account. This is the account of the heavens and earth. This is the account of Adam, Noah, Shem, Ham, Japheth, Noah's sons. Then there's one on Shem, Terah, Abraham's father. Ishmael has a very short account. And now we're at the account of Isaac in chapters 25 through 35. So these 10 chapters are going to follow the life of Isaac. The rest of that verse Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, uh, the Aramean from Patamoram, and the sister of Laban. You remember last time we talked about uh, Isaac uh, saying that he wanted to send his chief servant, uh, Eliezer, back to his home country to get a wife for his son son Isaac, Uh, and that's not right. Abraham, sorry. There's a lot of names in this story, so I'm going to go fast. If, I'm, if, I, if I get a name wrong, just raise your hand, and hopefully your hand won't be exhausted by the time we get finished. So Abraham sends back to his home country to get a wife for Isaac. Rebecca and Isaac now have been married for 20 years, no kids, and they want children. Rebecca's barren. So Isaac prays that God would bless them with the child, and God answers their prayer. Rebecca becomes pregnant, and as she's pregnant, something's going on inside of her that's, that's, that she, didn't, she can't figure it out. It is a very difficult pre- uh, pregnancy. Look at chapter uh, 25, verse 22. The babies, now again, Moses is writing this after the fact. Rebecca doesn't know there are two babies. The babies jostled each within her, and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. She didn't know she was having twins at that time, no ultrasound, but she knows something's going on within her. The word jostle actually means uh, to, to crush. It, it, it means a violent collision. So something, it feels like something's going on within her, and sure enough, she doesn't know it, but there are two babies, and it's as if they are fighting each other In the womb. So she goes to inquire of the Lord. An interesting way to say she prayed. She didn't just pray, but she goes to inquire of the Lord. And when you did that, you went to a prophet and you asked the prophet, Here, something's going on in my life. Please, on my behalf, ask God what's going on. There was no prophet in that era, so she probably went to her husband Isaac. Isaac served as the leader of the home, prophet of the home. They inquire of the Lord together, and here's what they learn in Genesis chapter 25, verse 23. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. You, got tw- you have twins. Two babies are there. Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Now, that had to be something Strange for them to hear because normally the younger serve the older, but here the older is going to serve the younger. The younger normally didn't have the birthright. The older did. But in this case, by God's sovereign election, God's sovereign choice, he says, I want the younger to be the leader. The older is going to serve the younger. We'll get back to that in a second regarding God's election. When the twins were first born, uh, the first one came out. And Scripture says that the first one, it was like there was a garment, a hairy garment all over the baby. Can you imagine maybe what that looked like? And since um, the baby was hairy, guess what they named him? Hairy, exactly. In Hebrew, in Hebrew it's the word Esau. He was also very red-complected, red, reddish-brown. And so he got the nickname Edom, which means red. Uh, the Edomites, you'll read about them throughout the rest of Scripture, descendants of Esau. Second baby came out, and the second baby was, was, was grasping the heel of the first one, of Esau, as if to pull him back so he could get out first. And so what they name him? He who grasps the heel. In Hebrew, Yaqob, or Jacob. Now, that name was just literal. He who grasps the hill later on is going to take on different significance. Even though Esau and Jacob were twins, they could not have been more different. Esau was hairy. Jacob's skin was smooth. Esau was a skilled hunter, and he loved to be outdoors. Jacob was even-tempered. And it says that he lived among the tents, which meant he liked to hang out at home. Uh, he liked to be around the city people, and he loved to cook as well. And Esau was, was rugged and rough. Jacob is gentle and refined, and these differences led his mom and dad to commit the number one mistake of parenting, something you don't do as parents. What is it? Favoritism, right? Favoritism. Isaac had this favorite meal. It's interesting that as Moses is writing this, he keeps focusing on the fact that Isaac loves his favorite meal. All of us like a favorite meal, right? Well, Isaac had this favorite meal of wild game. He craved it. And Esau was a skilled hunter, so he could go out and get the wild game to satisfy his appetite. Because of that, Esau was shown favoritism by his dad. Just like and again, this is like a crazy uh, thought You know, it never happens, but just like a dad who loves athletics might show favoritism to a son or daughter with athletic ability. And that's hypothetical and crazy, but maybe that could happen. Rebecca, on the other hand, showed favoritism to Jacob. He liked being around. He liked to cook. Look at Genesis chapter 25 verse 29. The boys grew up and Esau became a skilled hunter, man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man, living among the tents. Isaac, uh, who had a taste for a wild game, uh, loved uh, Esau. Re- Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came from the open country famished. Uh, that word's normally used of uh, an army coming back from battle exhausted, hungry, thirsty. Same words used here of Esau. He is famished. And he said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That's why another reason they called him Edom, red seems to follow him, not only his skin, but other things in his life. Jacob replied, took advantage of the situation. Jacob said, well, okay, I'll give you some stew. But the first thing, you need to do is to sell me your birthright. Now, that'd be like, you know, sell me your children. <laughs> sell me your home. Give me all your possessions. I mean, a birthright was something you valued. Sell me your birthright. And, and here we, we get to zoom in on Esau. We see what kind of person he was. And, and he says in verse 32, well, I'm about to die. What good is a birthright to me? But Jacob said, swear to me. I want it in writing. I want to know for sure that you're going to give me the birthright. So he swore to him, selling him his birthright. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread, gave him the lentil stew. He ate, drank, he got up and left. And here we see again this picture of Esau's personality. Impulsive, impetuous. He's dramatic. He's short-sighted. He's willing to give up his cherished rights of a firstborn for a bowl of stew. And notice his actions. He, 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 it says he ate, drank, got up, and left. It's like he didn't even care. And with indifference, he leaves, and it says he despised. The end of the verse 34, he despised his birthright. That means he undervalued his birthright. He, he looked at scorn with this precious gift that God had given him. That's the first story. Turn over to Genesis chapter 27. Genesis 27. Chapter 27, Isaac is around 137 years old. He's weak, and he can't see very well. He can't hardly see at all. He thinks he's getting ready to die. And remember, Isaac has a favorite food. What is it? We just talked about this. <laughs> okay, wild game, right? He loved wild game, and he can't get the taste out of his mouth. It keeps coming back. He craves it, and so he calls uh, for Esau, his favorite son, who can satisfy the craving. Look at chapter 24, or 27, verse 2. Isaac said, I am now an old man, and I don't know the day of my death. Now then, get your weapons, your quiver, your boat, and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare me the kind of tasty food I like. And bring it to me to eat, so that I may give you my blessing before I die. Now we've got to say, time out. Remember back in 25 when they went and heard the the word of God, the oracle of God? What did God say? Who's going to serve whom? The older is going to serve the younger. Maybe Isaac forgot. Maybe he ignored God. Maybe he said, no, Esau's my favorite son. I'm going to give him the blessing. But Esau's doing something he shouldn't do going to give the blessing to the wrong son and he knows God has chosen Jacob. Well, someone heard the conversation. Maybe she was eavesdropping. Look at verse 5. Rebecca was listening to Isaac as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. And when Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, Rebecca said to her son Jacob, look, I overheard your father say to your brother Esau, bring me some game and prepare the me some tasty food to eat so that I may uh, give my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock. Bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. Now Jacob said to Rebekah, I don't think this is a good idea. But my brother Esau, he said, is a hairy man. And I am a man with smooth skin. What if my father touches me? Wouldn't I appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing? And his mom said, don't worry about it. I got it covered. Let the curse fall on me. Just do what I tell you to do. So that's what they did. Got the goats. She uh, fixed the stew. She used the goat skin to put around Jacob's neck and fastened it some way to his hands. And then he takes it in to his father. Uh, look at verse 19. Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now, what's that? That's a lie. Please set up and eat some of the game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, well, man, that was fast. How would you find it so, so quickly? Well, the Lord, your God, gave me success. So there was a lie, and what's that? That's blasphemy, right? Then Isaac said to Jacob, Come near so I can touch you, my son. I know to know whether you're, you are my son Esau or not. And you have to think Jacob is sweating at this point. He went close to his father who touched him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He didn't recognize, he did not recognize him, for his hands were, like, were hairy like those of his brother Esau. So he blessed him. And then verse 24 Are you really my son Esau? He asked. I am, he replied. So lie, blasphemy, then another lie. Scripture says that uh, Jacob had, was barely out of the tent when Esau came back with the real stuff, the real guy with the real stuff. And he goes in and uh, he says, Here I am, here's your food, I've prepared it. Look what happens. Look at the, the reaction of Isaac in verse 33, Isaac trembled violently, and he said, again, he's the patriarch, and he's given away the blessing. Who was it then that hunted the game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came, and I blessed him, and indeed, he will be blessed. I have given him the blessing. I can't get it back. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out in a loud and bitter cry, and he said to his father, bless me, me too, my father. You've got to bless me too. His father said, your younger brother has deceitfully came deceitfully and took your blessing. And Esau said, isn't he rightly named Jacob? Remember what Jacob means? It's grasping the heel, literally named, but now figuratively speaking, someone who grasps the heel tries to trip someone up, right? Think about you walking down the road and grab, grabs your, your ankle or your heel. Isn't he rightly called the one who grasps the heel? Isn't he rightly called Jacob? He deceived me these two times. He took my birthright, and now he's taken my blessing. And then he asks, haven't you reserved any blessing for me? And, and he gives him kind of, a, kind of a half blessing because the blessing's been given to Jacob. Esau holds a grudge. Against Jacob, as you can imagine, he consoles himself with the thought of killing Jacob as soon as Isaac dies. Rebekah, convinced that he's going to kill Jacob, goes in and convinces Isaac that Jacob needs to go find the wife from their relatives just like he had, like Isaac had found Rebecca And she sends him away, and she never, they send him away, and and they never see their son again. All right. Seven lessons, real quick. Here we go. Number one Believers should be humbled by the fact that God sovereignly chose them. Fundamentally, these two stories talk about God's. Sovereign election, this doctrine of God's sovereign election. Jacob was chosen over Esau as the promised son to to bear the promised line. From a human standpoint, we have absolutely no idea why God would have chosen Jacob and not chosen Esau. And you say, well, that's easy. Look at Esau. He was impetuous. He was impatient. He sold his birthright. Yeah, look at Jacob. Jacob. He was a liar, a blasphemer. He was deceitful. There was nothing either of them had done. God in His mercy, God in His grace, sovereignly chose Jacob. That is an important theological point. In fact, Paul uses this story in Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11 to explain this aspect of God sovereignly choosing his children. I get it. It is a debated theological point. And there are a lot of people who have some trouble with it. But you've got to understand it. Right here in the Old Testament, Paul uses that story in the New Testament. God sovereignly chooses his children. You see, I know how God does it. He looks down the top. God can see everything, right? He's omnipotent. He looks down the tunnel of time and he says, "Ah, that guy, he's going to be a great husband. I want him on my team. She's going to be fantastic at sharing the gospel. I want her on my team. Now, just think about that. God knows everything there is to know about everything there is to know from eternity past to eternity future, right? If he chose us based on what he knew we were going to do, what would that be? It would be salvation by works. And we know salvation is not by works. Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. It is not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast for we're God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared for us to do. A lot of people like to spend their time debating this. I know it's a hard one to understand. But my point today is we should be humbled that God would choose us. We should be humbled that God looked at us and says, You are mine. J.I. Packer, the great theologian, calls this an antinomy. Two parallel truths. Yeah, we have responsibility. Yeah, we have to demonstrate trust. Yeah, we have to express faith. But there are two parallel truths. God's sovereignty. And, and our responsibility, they run side by side throughout scripture, seemingly contradicting, but they never do. And the great theologian, J.I. Packer, says, Accept it and move on. You cannot understand the mind of God. Paul, in Romans chapter 9 through 11, when he uses this story in Genesis to express this truth, says, Should the clay say to the potter, Why did you make me like this? Absolutely not. God's God. So some theological truths of Scripture, we just need to accept and say, God, thank you. I don't understand it all. But I know my heart. I know my sin. I know my inclinations. And you chose me. And I'm humbled by that. And that should lead us to worship. Not to debate, but to worship. Lesson 2. Consequences flow from dysfunctional families. and that is breaking news right there, right? It seems like there's a lack of communication between Isaac and Rebekah. Favoritism produces unhealthy competition between the brothers. There's scheming, lies, manipulation. Esau plans to kill Jacob in order to get to, uh, to safety. In order to get Jacob to safety, Rebecca dramatizes her disgust of Canaanite women. Look at chapter 27, verse 4. Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I am disgusted with living. I'm disgusted with life itself because of these Hittite women all around us. If, if Jacob takes a wife from among the women of this land, from these Hittite women like these, my life will be, won't be worth living. And what's she really trying to do? She's trying to get Isaac to agree that she needs to send Jacob to their family in Mesopotamia to get a wife. And why is she doing that? Because she knows Esau wants to kill him because of the scheme that she's had. Tension is thick in the family. Jacob leaves. He doesn't come home for 20 years. Some of you can relate to that, can't you? Get stuff going on. All families have stuff going on. Maybe you have a son or daughter you haven't seen for a long time. A brother or sister. You had, a, you had an issue and they took off and you took off. and Haven't seen them for years. Husbands and wives going after it. Lies and manipulation and more lies and manipulation. It's time to get help, isn't it? If you've got issues going on in your family... Get help. I am amazed at businessmen and women. And I have the privilege of standing up here. I, I get the privilege of speaking to the movers and shakers in Pittsburgh. I get it. God has given you guys tremendous responsibility and tremendous opportunity. And I see businessmen and women spending tens of thousands of dollars to bring in top dollar consultants to fix an issue in their companies. But won't take a night to go to a counselor to fix something in their family because they have to admit there's an issue, right? It's the cool thing to do to bring consultants in. Sometimes you need to go get some help. So if you see some of this dysfunction going on, get some help. Consequences flow from dysfunctional families. You say, well, time out. God used all this to make certain that Jacob got the blessing, we're going to see that God does not use sin to get His will done. This was sin, pure and simple. This story is about them not trusting God. We'll see that in another lesson. Number three. Living to gratify your natural appetite is a small, lonely, disastrous life. Acting on impulse... For that tasty meal you really like, whatever that tasty meal is, will leave you with sorrow and a and, and, and sour taste in your mouth. I know men who have lost their families and lived in deep regret because they were unwilling because of their cravings for sex. Women who have walked away from their children. Just walked away. Ah, the children will be fine. That's, that's the beautiful line, isn't it? The kids are resilient. And then they wonder why the kids don't want anything to do with them. And then they play the victim card. Proverbs six thirty two says this, But a man who commits adultery has no sense. Whoever does, so Whoever does so destroys himself. Blows and disgrace are his lot, and his shame will never be wiped away. So maybe for you it's not a sexual issue. Maybe for you this, this craving is anger. An out-of-control temper. You, you act out and live with regret. Maybe for you it's a craving for alcohol or drugs, another fix, another hit. Maybe for you it's pornography, that secret sin that you can, you can do. You think hiding in the corner. Of course, God sees everything. Or maybe like Esau, you're just impulsive and impetuous, and you're indifferent to the things that you do in your life, the, the, the messes that you make, and you have a lack of respect. For those who love you and, and, and you love, or you say you love. Look, look at Genesis chapter uh, 26, verse 34. When Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, the daughter of Bere the Hittite, and also Basemath, daughter of Elon the Hittite. They were a source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah. So, when all this happens, right, uh, with, the, with, the, um, uh, with the blessing... You know what he does to get back at his mom and his dad? He knows they do not want their kids to marry Canaanite women. He's already done that. So to get back at him, just to drill it in a little bit, you know what he does? He goes out and marries another Canaanite woman. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 15 through 16, takes Esau, drives home theological point for us, so it... Uh, See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or godless like who? Esau. That's why we need to study Genesis. You're going to understand Hebrews if you don't study Genesis. Godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights to his oldest as the oldest son. Afterwards, as you know, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. Remember, me too, give the blessing to me, cried out in a loud voice. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he, here's some sad words, he could not change what he had done. Impulsiveness and to God and others following your natural appetite. God is gracious, I get that. We'll talk about that as we wrap this up. But sometimes our sin causes us to do some things that we cannot change. Know that before you get into it. You're going to do some things you may not be able to change. Yes, God is forgiving, and He forgives us, and He's gracious. But also know that people are not God. And the people you hurt it might take some time for them to actually forgive you. So many people will go down the wrong route and they say, I've asked God forgiveness. He's forgiven me. Why won't my kids forgive me? And they play the victim card. Eh, my kids. Never liked them anyway. They never liked me. That's ridiculous. Part of true forgiveness with God is saying, i got to let people have some time to forgive me, and I'm willing to do that. I'm not going to play a victim card. Lesson four, you cannot set set aside God's will for for your will. Isaac knew that Jacob was to be the son, and yet he said, bring me the tasty meal, and I'm going to give you the blessing. His partiality for Esau trumped. His desire to follow God's will. You cannot set aside God's will for your will. Any areas you're doing that? What about relationships? I want to get married, singles would say, young adults. I want to get married. I want to get married now. And I don't know if they're going to be a believer or not. I want to get married. I love the idea of marriage more than I love the idea of following God's word. People who are married, I don't want to get married. I don't want to be married any longer. At least not to him or her. I'm always amazed by people who say, I don't want to be married. They get divorced and then they get married again. So it's not marriage. It's the person. But the real person is them because they bring that baggage to the second marriage and sometimes the third and fourth. Maybe it's money. Yeah, I know what God's Word says about money. I know I should give generously. I know I should give as I'm blessed. And maybe even that 10% thing. But you know what? I got things to do with my money. I got bills to pay. I got kids to send to college. You don't know what I got. God says, really? That's what I- Here's what I say. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your children. I know exactly what I want my children to do, and I want God to bless it. I got my will for my kids. I just hope it matches God's will because this is what I want them to do. You cannot set aside God's will for your will. Number five, you don't need to ensure God's plan by disobedience. In fact, you can't ensure God's plan by disobedience. Remember when when Rebecca was barren, they prayed. When something was going on inside of her with this pregnancy, they prayed. But then when she feared Isaac was going to give the blessing to Esau, she didn't trust God anymore. She took matters in her own hands. And some would say, oh, that's how God... Some would read the story and say, it's kind of weird, isn't it? How God used all that stuff to get his will done. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is they disobeyed him. They didn't have to do that. God... Can take care of matters on his own. He does not use sin to get his will done. He didn't have to do that. I don't know how he would have gotten it done, but he didn't need to use deception and blasphemy and lies and scheming. The point of the story is they messed up. You, you, you don't ensure God's plan by disobedience. God's going to direct your path. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in God with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. You don't have to go through the schemes and stuff, right? In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. He'll make it happen. He will get his will done. Just follow him. So God has great plans for you. You do not have to embellish your resume with lies and exaggerations. God's going to take care of you. Young adults, you don't don't need to make Promises you can't keep to find the right mate. Or, or you don't need to be a person you're not in order to impress someone else. Just impressing God. He'll take care of you. Got some high school and junior high kids coming up with some finals, right? You don't, you don't need to cheat on an exam. Just pray that God's going to give you the discipline to focus and study well. And then he's going to give you everything you need to bring back to your mind the things you've learned. God has great plans for your marriage. Do not deceive yourself into thinking he cannot restore your relationship. A believer can never get to the point to say, my marriage is beyond repair. Really? God does miracles. If you're still in the marriage. You're praying that God somehow is going to work it out. I know it takes two people. I get that. But Pray for that other person that God will change his or her heart. Number six, real quick, sin carries consequences. Numbers 32, Numbers 32, 23, you may be sure that your sin will find you out sooner or later. Another passage says some men's sin goes be, some men's sin goes before them and beats them to the to the destination, and others men, other men's sin follows after them, but it's gonna catch up with you. Galatians 6:7, not be deceived, God's not mocked, a man reaps what he sows. The the again, Rebecca, and, and Isaac, blew it. This is not a story of how God worked out His will. This is a story of their disobedience, their distrust. Jacob ended up leaving. He had to leave. He leaves with no inheritance, just a pack on his back as he's taking a five hundred mile journey to Re- Rebecca and uh, Rebecca's home country. He's alone. Uh, he uh, is a man and, and, uh, who, who loves the city, right? And lives among the tents. And now he's by himself on this journey as a fugitive. And here's a part, here's a consequence. Rebecca has to say goodbye to her favorite son, and she never sees him again. Never sees him again. Now, think about that. We know how we love our kids, right? My kids are scattered out. Man, when I get with them, I can't. I, it's so much fun. But to think about never seeing them again, Rebecca had to live with that the rest of her life. And you you just got to imagine she woke up in the morning thinking, what did I do? I didn't have to do that. God would have worked that out. But because I jumped in and tried to handle things my way, I'm missing out on seeing my son, his marriage, my grandkids, and she died before he got back. Consequences, there are always consequences to sin. That's the bad news. The good news is this. God's grace covers our sin. When Jacob left, uh, he was actually in an area called Beersheba, and when he left, set out on his own, he got to the first night, laid his head down, and put his. it wasn't a pillow, so he put his head on a rock, and went to sleep. Look at verse 12 of chapter 28. He had a dream in which he saw a staircase resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending it. A picture of God's activity on the earth going back and forth. God, the God of heaven, works on the earth, and the God of people on earth can interact with the God of heaven. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord God of your father Abraham, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and the east, north and south. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you, and wherever you go, I will bring you back to this land. This is the promised land. You're leaving it now, but you're going to come back. I'll not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And uh, in the rest of that passage, we don't have time to read it. But Jacob says, man, God spoke to me through that dream. And he takes that rock and he sets it down and he calls the place Bethel. Uh, Bethel means house of God. And he said, I'm going to come back here and worship. He didn't know it was going to be two decades later. But 20 years later, he's going to come back and worship in that place. Notice Jacob was running from God. Jacob was not pursuing God. Jacob was escaping as a fugitive because something he had done. Who is the initiator here? It's always God, isn't it? Maybe God's initiating time with you today. Maybe you're away from him and, 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 and you've blown it. And there are consequences to sin, some things you can't undo. If you're a child of God today, I want to invite you back. I want you to know that God is initiating right now, if he's speaking to you, you know it. He's initiating that conversation to say, it's time to come back home. Yeah, you made a mess of things, I get it. But I'm ready to redeem that. I'm ready to make all things beautiful again in your life. I'm ready to take even your sin, which I don't approve, and there are consequences, but I'm willing now, I'm ready to get you back on track and to take the things that have happened in the past, and I'll even work them out for good. You ready to follow me? That's his invitation to you today to experience his grace. It's time to come back home. Isaiah 43, 1 is a great passage. Don't have time to read it. But it says, God says, through the prophet Isaiah, I have redeemed you, talking to believers, I have redeemed you. You are mine. And he's inviting you back today.